This week, we're looking at prayer, the Lord's Prayer, one of the foundations of Jesus' life. And let me just say, as we're talking about prayer, let me remind you that every Tuesday at 6 a.m., we have our church-wide prayer meeting. It's in person and online every Tuesday at 6 a.m. We'd love to invite you to come and be a part of prayer with us Tuesday mornings. It's a great time for us to corporately come together and pray over everything that God is doing in our church family. And today, there's not going to be any message notes, because what I would rather have you do today is download our prayer guide. We have it in PDF format. You can go on our app or on our website, and you can find a link to download our our prayer guide. We have a number of different prayer outlines in there with instructions and how to pray. I think a lot of people would pray if they knew how to pray, and and at times it just feels frustrating, because it's like, what am I going to just sit around and talk to God for an hour. What am I going to say to God? Like, how do I spend an hour talking to God? I have a hard time talking to anybody for an hour straight, let alone, you know, time in prayer. And that's why having an outline in a model of prayer really, really works well. Let me ask you a question before we begin the message today. What if I could show you that prayer does not waste time, but it actually saves time? You know, a lot of people say to themselves, I don't have time to pray. I don't have an hour every morning to pray. I can't afford an hour. I can't take even 15 minutes every morning and, and spend that time in prayer. I just don't have, you know, with kids and job and family and everything else going on, I, I, I don't have time to pray. Well, what if I could show you that prayer does not waste your time, but it actually produces time. It saves time in your life through prayer. The title of today's message is The Atomic Habit of Prayer. There's a leadership book by James Clear that just came out called Atomic Habits. And I was reading an article about this book, and in the article, he talks about why he chose the title Atomic Habits. And what he said is the word atomic, uh, which means tiny, small, or, or like an atom, it's the smallest particle of something. He said the second reason is that the word atomic can also mean the fundamental unit in a larger system. So it's kind of like a base block in something much larger or much bigger. In other words, atoms form molecules, molecules form compounds, and etc. So in a sense, our habits are like the atoms of our life. Our habits are the building blocks, they're small routines or practices, they're, they're fundamental units that when you combine them into the overall system of our behaviors, they make up our daily life. And then the third thing he said about this, this phrase, atomic habits, is the final meaning of atomic is the source of immense energy or power. And so the premise of the book is if you make small, easy changes in your life and you layer them on top of one another, it's like units in a larger system, and what happens is you begin to get very, very powerful results. If you've ever studied compound interest, Albert Einstein says compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. Spiritual disciplines compound over time. You take five minutes of prayer a day, it's like compound interest. It compounds, it builds upon each other. 
You take five minutes of reading the Bible every day, it's like compound interest. It builds upon each other. In other words, prayer is an atomic habit. Prayer is part of our daily routine as Christians that when we build it upon itself, it becomes a part of something much larger but much, much more powerful in the whole when you put it all together. So let me say a couple things about prayer becoming an atomic habit in our life. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is find a regular time, a regular time. Now, obviously, there, there are days where you've got to get up really early and go to the airport and catch a flight for a business trip, and your regular time doesn't you know, happen because you're in the car on the way to the airport. But the majority of your life, you can find a regular time to meet with God every day. Now, we're to pray all day long. We're, we're, we're to be in prayer at all times. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said, the great evangelist. He said, I never pray more than 10 minutes, but I never go more than 10 minutes without prayer. So I'm always going to be talking to God throughout the day, but there is something powerful about a regular time. In Acts 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, a very specific hour, the hour of prayer. So they had an hour of prayer that they were committed to. It was a regular time for them, and as much as possible, they were there during the ninth hour. So find a regular time in your prayer life. Second thing is a special place. Now, you can pray anywhere, and again, there are times where you can't be at your special place. You're on a business trip. You're here. You're there. But find a place that is special to you, like a routine in your life where you go and meet with God at, at a special place during a regular time. It could be your office. It could be your living room. It could be your backyard. It could be down by the beach. It could be in a park near your house. doesn't matter where it is. What matters is it becomes your special place to meet with God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, so he had a regular time, and he went to a secluded place. Jesus loved this place. Oftentimes, we see him going there for prayer, and he prayed there for a time. So we find a regular time. We find a special place. And then the third thing I want to say, and this is, this is the habit part, is make it a daily habit. A daily thing, not a weekly thing, not a, you know, every other day thing, but make it a daily thing. Make it an atomic habit of your life, something that you build upon every day. In Luke 22, it says, and he came out and went as was his habit. Jesus had a habit of prayer. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus was the Son of God. If anybody did not need to pray, it would have been Jesus. I mean, how many of you know? I mean, he was God's Son. He knew who he was. He was, yes, he was fully human, <coughs> but he was also God incarnate on earth. So if anybody did not need to pray, it would have been Jesus. But yet Jesus, being the Son of God, made prayer a habit in his life. If it was a habit for him, how much more should it be a habit in our life? And again, the way, you, the way you build these habits is you start somewhere. If you have to start with five minutes a day, be faithful to five minutes a day. And let it grow over time. 
but start a habit somewhere, as was his habit to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. Now, when he had arrived at the place, again, he had a special place. He had a few of them. He had a special place in the Galilee region where he'd go off to that secluded place. And then when he was in Jerusalem, he loved praying at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to them, pray, pray that you do not come into temptation. And then finally, and to me, this is one of the most critical aspects. So, so find a, a regular time, a, a time of day that you just love to meet with God, a special place, a place you go often. Uh, get a daily habit going in your life. And then finally, and I really think this is one of the most important parts, is get a doable plan. Get a doable plan. Five minutes a day, prayer outline, some type of guide. Find a plan that works. See, a lot of people, they don't find a doable plan. They get an unrealistic plan. I'm going to get an unrealistic plan based on what I heard somebody else is doing, and it works really, really well for them, but it's not doable in my life. It's not doable for me. It's great for them, but it doesn't work for me. I used to do this all the time. I'd hear you know, some famous pastor talk about his prayer life, and I would like, okay, I'm going to do that, but it wasn't doable for me. And I would find myself frustrated, and I would find myself quitting. I would find myself not being faithful to prayer because I was trying to do something that did not work for me. So find a doable plan. Luke 11, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, again, he loved, loved to have special places, certain places, not just a place, but a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So give us a plan. Give us something that's doable. Give us something that works for us so that when we pray, we can actually engage with the Father. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. The Bible is full of doable plans. We're looking at one this week in Life of Christ. If you've been watching the daily videos, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave the disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a very doable plan. Seven incredible points of engaging with God in prayer. One of my favorites is the prayer of Jabez. That, that's my go-to if I have a, you know, like if I, if I only have 5, 10, 15 minutes to pray, I'm going to Jabez every time because it's something I can pray through in about 5 to 10 minutes. So it's just four simple points. God, bless me abundantly. Give me more than I need. Bless me abundantly. Give me influence, God. If, if, if you bless me, expand my territory. How many know California has influence up until the end of its border. So in all the territory of California, California has influence. But when you get to the border, all of a sudden you cross the border, and now Arizona has influence. So expand my territory. In other words, give me influence. God, if you're going to bless me with more than I need, then give me the influence to use it for your kingdom. Give me the influence to use it for your glory. And then Jabez says, and then give me your presence, God. I don't want to do it without you. Don't, don't send me if you're not going to go with me. So bless me, God, and give me greater influence and give me greater authority. But Lord, I want your presence because I don't want to do it without you. I need your wisdom. I need your presence. I need your spirit to guide me. And then finally, Jabez says, and if you do those three, then you better protect me because Satan's coming after me. Like, I'm going to be a, if you bless me with more than I need, and then you give me the influence to use it for your kingdom, and then your presence is with me, 
Satan's coming after me, and so protect me, God. And there was something about this very short, simple prayer where, where all of a sudden in the middle of the book of Chronicles, you've got lists and lists and lists of names. This one guy, Jabez, and all we know about him is he said this prayer. And for whatever reason, God stops in the middle of Chronicles and answered his prayer. God liked his prayer. All it says is the Lord answered his prayer. Something about this prayer that God likes. Can I tell you, God likes it when you pray, bless me with more than I need. Bless me abundantly, God, and then give me influence so that I can use it for your kingdom. God likes it when you pray that way. Give me your presence, God, and then protect me from the enemy. What I want to do today is I want to go into the prayer that, for whatever reason, the season I'm in right now, it's a prayer outline that God has me kind of camped out in. We talked about this this last Tuesday in our Tuesday morning prayer meeting. We'll talk about it a little bit more. But if you look at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, we just read through the tabernacle in our one-year Bible. You know, in the book of Exodus, it talks about the different furnishing and, and, and the different pieces of furniture and, and the, the places that the priests would go through on their journey into the Holy of Holies. You see, the holiest place of the tabernacle is where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where they, they met with God on behalf of the people. But before they could get into the Holy of Holies, before they could get into the presence of God, there were these different stations that they would go through. It was an order. It was a model for us that, for me, has become one of the most beautiful times of prayer. It takes me about an hour to go through these different stations in the morning. And I tell you, it feels like minutes. When I, when I, in, and I'll be very honest with you, I'm not somebody who loves to just sit around and pray. That, that's just, it's not my personality. I, I don't have the spiritual gift of intercession. If you've ever taken a spiritual gift test, that's not me. But when I get myself a doable plan, I'm finding myself praying for an hour and it feels like minutes. And that's not normal for me. But when you find something that connects with you, it works. And so I want to walk you through the tabernacle prayer. Now, do you have to go through all of these stations to get into the presence of God? At the end of the day, if you're on the road and somebody cuts you off and you're about to get into a massive wreck, you don't have to go through all of these stations to get to God. You can just cry out Jesus and he'll hear you. So there are times in life where you can bypass all of these stations and go right into the throne room and cry out to God and just say, Jesus, help, and he will show up and answer that prayer. But when you have time, there's an order to the tabernacle that when you go through it, it engages into a time of prayer. And what it does is it incorporates praise and worship and God's word and prayer in it. All incorporates all of it together in a time of prayer. So the first thing that would happen is the, the high priest or the priest they would come into the gates. of the. There's a big gate at the front of the tabernacle. They would come into the gate, into what was called the outer courtyard. The outer court. And for us, what this represents is praise. Praise. In Psalm 100, it says, I enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. One of the most powerful things you can do when you're coming into your time of prayer, is begin with praise. Praise God for who He is. Just, just praise Him for His majesty. Praise Him for His worth. 
just celebrate. It's like a pep rally. You're celebrating God because he's on the winning team, and you're cheering him on, and you're celebrating him. Now, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit. One of the things that I have started to do recently at the request of one of my pastors, one of my overseers in my life, told me I needed to start doing this every day. And I'll be very honest, when I first started doing it, it was the most uncomfortable, awkward, weird thing that, that I've ever done. And what he said I needed to do is when I begin my time of prayer, dance before the Lord. Just, just dance before God, like by myself, dance before him. Now, that's awkward. That, that's very, because I'm not a good dancer. When I dance, it looks like a monkey with a leg tied behind his back. It's just not a pretty sight. But he said, I dance before God every day as I go into my time of prayer. I enter into his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, he, he said he danced before God every day for at least 10 minutes a day. And he only saw eight people raised from the dead in his ministry. So there's something, and I'm not saying it was because he danced before God, but I'm saying there's something about dancing before. See, what dancing before God does is it, is it humbles you. It humbles you very quickly because you've got to lose all of yourself to do that because you're, it's a little self-conscious. Even though I do it by myself when no one else has ever seen this, and I'm not going to show you what it looks like. You know, this is not an illustrated sermon. I'm just telling you it's not a pretty sight. I do it by myself. But if you've ever had like a two- or three-year-old child or grandchild and you see them dancing, how many know it brings pleasure to you when you see a child dance? It, it, just, it brings you joy when they're dancing around, and it brings the father joy. And what it does is it, is it releases something inside of you where, where you just humble yourself before God. You just humble yourself. And so what I do in the morning is I put on you know, one of my favorite praise songs, which is, you know, a lot faster. See, the difference between praise and worship is praise is us collectively, we singing to God about how good he is, whereas worship is me singing to God intimately or personally. That's the difference between praise and worship. So I begin with praise, and I'll put on, you know, my, my AirPods, and I'll just kind of dance around the house when everyone else is asleep. And there's something that breaks in my spirit when I dance before God that, that, you know, in the past, it, I would have to pray for a while before I felt like I was really engaging with God. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You're praying and you just feel like you're not connecting, you're not breaking through, you just feel dry. It's like, I'm praying, but I don't feel anything. When I dance before God, it just like accelerates the prayer movement for me where I'm immediately engaging with Him. So the first thing I do is I, I come into His courts with praise. And I just praise him, and I worship him. Then the next place that the high priest would go, or the priest would go, is what we call the brazen altar. So it's praise and then pardon. The brazen altar is where they would take the animal sacrifice, the, the sheep or the goat, and they would sacrifice it as a blood offering for the sin of the person to be able to, to move forward in the process. You see, when I get to this place, what I like to do is I like to meditate on the cross. I like to meditate on what Jesus did for me, how Jesus shed his blood so that I could be forgiven. That I have been made righteous, not because I'm a good person, but I have been made righteous because Jesus was a good person, and he was my sacrifice. 
You see, when you look at the Old Testament, Old Testament tabernacle, when you brought your offering to the priest for, for the sin that you committed, the priest never examined you to see if you were good enough to be forgiven. The priest examined your offering. They would make sure the lamb or the goat was without blemish and without defect. And if the lamb was acceptable, if the goat was worthy, then you were forgiven whether you were worthy or not because it wasn't about you being good enough. It was about your offering being acceptable. You see, we've been given the Lamb of God. Jesus was our sin offering. He was sacrificed on our behalf so that we can be accepted by God, not because we're worthy, but because He was worthy. And so I spend time at the brazen altar dwelling on my righteousness, dwelling on the cross, thinking about what Jesus did for me. I ask the Holy Spirit, convict me of my righteousness. Convince me that I'm righteous because of what a great time to receive communion. If you receive communion daily together is at this place of the brazen altar, just receiving communion, just just get some communion elements out right in the middle of your time of prayer and dwell on what Jesus did for you. I'm telling you, it's powerful when you when you begin to believe. See, you come through with that praise, you're celebrating God and then you go to the cross. And you think about what Jesus did on your behalf. And all of a sudden, this conviction of righteousness falls over you. All of the shame leaves. All of the guilt leaves. All of the, the condemnation leaves because you realize you are forgiven and righteous because of Jesus' gift at the cross, His sacrifice at the cross. And then the next stage that the high priest would go to is what we call the laver. It was a bronze bowl that was made out of mirrors in the bottom and they would wash their face and they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet to make sure they were ceremonially clean before they moved on. Now, we know we're spiritually clean. We know we're forgiven. And we know that we're not sinners because of what Jesus did for us, that we are righteous. But how many know, even though we're righteous, we still can commit acts of sin. Now, those acts of sin don't make us sinners because we were born again righteous, but those acts of sin do pollute our life. They do hold us back. Now, we're still forgiven. We're still righteous before God, but there are things we can do that hold us back. And so we go to the laver, and this is, this is where we ask God to purify us. One of my favorite verses at this place of prayer is Psalm 139, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I tell you, this is a hard place in prayer because the Holy Spirit loves to, like if you ask him, search me, is there anything in my heart that is offensive to you? Is there anything in my life that's not healthy for me, that's not, that's not good for my faith, that's not helping me become everything? The Holy Spirit loves to point it out, not, not in a mean way, but in a loving way to say, hey, this isn't best for you. If you continue to do this, it's going to hold you back from everything God has for you. It's not that you're not forgiven. You are forgiven, but there's things that you can do that just have consequences here on earth, and it holds you back. And so I love to go to this place, and I just ask God to search my heart. 
God, is there anything in my heart that you want to remove? Is there anything you want to deal with today? Is there anything inside of me that's not healthy? You go to love. Now, these are the three things that are outside of the inner curtain. So in, in the tabernacle, then you move into the tent, and inside the tent, you've got the inner tent, which is the Holy Holies, but there's three stations inside the tent. So outside of the tent, you've got the gates, that's praise. You've got the altar, that's pardon. And then you've got the laver, where you wash your hands, that's the purity. Then you move into the tabernacle, into the, they call, they call it the, the holy area, and then there's the holy of holies, or the most holy area. So once you move into the holy area, the first thing that you come to is the candlestick. This is the Jewish menorah. If you've ever seen the, the Jewish candlestick that has the seven branches, there's the one center branch, and then three branches that come out on each side of it. That was the, the, the first place they went to once they went inside the tent. And what this represents for us, the fire on the head is the first thing you saw when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, the fire on the head of this candlestick represents to us the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. There are seven incredible benefits to the Holy Spirit in your life. And what I love to do is I love to pray through each one of these into my life during my time of prayer. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3.17, this is the center of the candlestick. It says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. The center of the candlestick is the freedom of the Holy Spirit in your life. Isaiah gives us the other six. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So we've got these seven things to pray through in our time of prayer. So the first one is freedom. Freedom. That's an intimacy. Holy Spirit, I want to be close to you. I don't want anything to be in the way, anything blocking my intimacy with you. I want to have a freedom where I can walk with you with no shame and no guilt. There's a, there's a freedom in the, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And then I spend time praying for the Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is order. Give me the wisdom to order my life that reflects your number one. Give me the wisdom to order my day. Give me the wisdom to order my week. Give me the wisdom to order my family, to order my finances, where everything in my life reflects that you are number one. Give me the spirit of wisdom to live my life in order. You see, without order, there is disorder. And you don't want disorder in your life because it's painful to live life. That's what disease is is disorder. Something's not, not ordered right inside of your physical body, and it hurts. So, Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom to live my life in order. And then there's understanding. Understanding is clarity. Give me understanding. There's a lot going on in my life right now, and I need clarity because it's, it's hazy and it's foggy, and, and I just need some understanding to see clearly, and there's things that are going on in your life. When I get to this place in my time of prayer, I ask specifically, I need some clarity in this area, and I need some clarity in this area, and give me, give, give me some clarity. And then there's counsel. How many know all of us have decisions that we have to make every day? There's decisions we make every week, big decisions 
and little decisions. Holy Spirit, I need your counsel. I have decisions on my plate right now, and I need to, I need to figure this out. Give me your counsel. Speak to me. Help me make the decisions that bring you glory. Help me make the right decision, not good decisions, but the best decisions for my life. And then there's the spirit of might, which is power. I need power to live the life you've called me to live. I need your strength. I need your ability. Knowledge is revelation. I, I, give me revelation. Give me the spirit of knowledge of your word. When I read your word, give me revelation. Let me see things I haven't seen before. Let me understand things about you that I've never... Just give me revelation, God. And then finally, the fear of the Lord, which is integrity. God, I want to I worship you. And, and, not, and this is not a scared of God. It's in awe of God. I want to I be in awe of you where I live my life with an integrity, with a character that I walk after you. The next place that the high priest would go to is what we call the table of shoe bread. It was a beautiful table inside of the tabernacle that had fresh bread daily. Not, not day-old bread. Every day they put fresh bread daily in there. What this is for us is the Word of God. Every day, God has fresh bread for you. So what I do is in the middle of my time of prayer, this is when I get out my Bible and I read my one-year Bible. You see, what I'm showing you is I'm showing you an outline of prayer that incorporates communion, it incorporates praise, it incorporates worship, it incorporates your one-year Bible. I'm telling you, an hour goes by like that, and it's, it's one of the most enjoyable hours. And so I get my Bible out, and I said, give me fresh bread today. Give me raiment. Give me revelation. As I read, illuminate something from your word that I need to hear, that I need to see today. Jesus put it like this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The next place they would go to, and this is the final place before they go into the Holy of Holies, is a little altar, the altar of incense. And what this is, is worship. It's worship. It's when you worship God. Psalm 141 says it like this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. What I like to do here is I put on just some worship music and I just worship God. I just worship Him. I, I want my worship and my prayer to be incense before Him. And so I just like to, I, I find one of my favorite worship songs, and I'll just, I'll sing, and I'll worship, and I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll sing in the Spirit, and I just worship Him for a little while before I go into the Holy of Holies. And then the final place that the, and again, this is just a model. This is just a model. You know, I, I'm not saying like we're, we're literally going into the Holy of Holies. What we have, everything in the Old Testament is a model and a pattern for us, Hebrews says. So what the tabernacle is, is a pattern for us to follow. It's just a model. It's all it is. The final place is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what this is. It's, it's, an ark is a picture of Jesus, by the way. 
You know, it's made out of acacia wood, which is an incorruptible wood. It shows Jesus' humanity. It's overlaid with gold. Gold shows his deity. Jesus was fully God, fully human on earth. Inside of the ark, you have the three symbols of man's rebellion. You've got the rod that budded from Aaron. You've got the, a golden pot of manna. And you've got the Ten Commandments that were shattered and broken. And then above the ark was the mercy seat, solid gold. And when the priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the mercy seat, God the Father could not see the rebellion of mankind because it was hidden in Christ. Christ took all of our sin on the cross. It's a beautiful picture. And so what the ark is, is a place of intercession. Jesus is our high priest. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, forever interceding for us. So when you get into this area of prayer, this is when we begin to intercede for others. This is when I get my list out of people that I'm praying for. Paul says like this to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. What I have is I have a list of paper. And on that list of paper, I have all of my family's names written out. In-laws, uh, brothers, sisters, nephews, everyone written out on this paper. And I literally just pray for every single person by name going down the list. I've got friends on this paper. I've got my pastors and overseers. I have our, our trustees. I've got all of the staff of our church on this list of paper. And I just read down. I pray for every single person out loud by name, our board, and then our authority. I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president. I pray for our senators and congressmen and our local mayors and our local supervisors by name. I've got probably 50 names on this piece of paper, and I just go down one by one and pray for every, not, not a super long time, but I just pray for every single person out loud by name. This is my place of intercession. And I tell you, when, when I go through this pattern of prayer, this, this tabernacle model, an hour goes by and it feels like minutes. And I've engaged with God. And I tell you, it changes the entire day for me. The entire day, when I do this, my entire day goes differently. I open by saying, what if I could show you that prayer does not waste time, it actually saves time? Let me show you how it works. When I spend this hour in prayer, I spend an hour, I praise Him and dance before Him a little bit. And then I I go to that candlestick and I say, I need, I need wisdom and clarity and I need the decisions to make. I need your counsel today. And I spend time interceding for others and worshiping Him and I spend time reading God's Word and getting a, a, some fresh manna, some fresh bread baked daily just for me from God. Here's how it saves time. When I do this, I can make eight decisions in an hour. If I don't do this, it takes me eight hours to make one decision. I'm telling you, when you spend this time with God, it accelerates time for you. You see, you think about how efficient your life would be if you had the counsel of the Holy Spirit to make decisions. If you had clarity, if you had understanding, if you had revelation 
to see things. I mean, you wrestle over certain decisions for hours. Imagine having peace and clarity to walk in and know exactly what to do. Because you've spent time in His presence and He's illuminating your path before you. I'm telling you, so many people say, I can't afford to spend time in prayer. I can't afford not to. You know, I've got young kids at home. You know, I've got a 3-year-old and a 12-year-old. I can't afford not to pray. Because there's decisions and clarity and understanding that we need as parents. We've got a church. We've got staffs. We've got all sorts of things going on. We're building a building. I can't afford not to pray. And you can't either because you have decisions. And you have a family. And you have children. And you have different financial things that you've got to figure out and you've got career things that you need to figure out and marriage issues and parenting issues and there's all these things going on in your life. Can you imagine what your life would look like when you walk out of your time of prayer with clarity, with wisdom, with counsel, with understanding, with revelation, with power and authority, with, with the freedom and the intimacy and an integrity and a character? I'm telling you, it's one of the most beautiful things you can do is spend this time with God. And I know at first you may have to get up a little bit earlier to to try some of these models, to find a doable plan that works for you. But get a plan. Don't don't just, you know, here's where I used to go wrong. I used to say, I'm just going to go pray for an hour. And I would sit there and I'd run out of things to say in about three minutes. My hour would be over in three minutes. That's that's what my prayer looked like when I didn't have a plan. And so what I encourage you to do as you leave today is download the prayer guide. Go to our website. Go to our app. There, there's five or six different doable plans right out of Scripture, right out of the Bible. You can go study the tabernacle one we talked about today. It's in the prayer guide. Find one that resonates with you. One of the, one of the plans the Holy Spirit will put on your heart. And then try it tomorrow morning. Just get up, and even, even if it takes you like five minutes to get through all seven points, start somewhere. Start with five minutes. Start with ten minutes. It'll grow over time. And before you know it, you're going to be lost, and it'll be at the end of the hour, and you're just, it just felt like minutes. But there's something powerful about being in the presence of God. And that's what we learned this week with Life of Christ. 